Do you like it creepy? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here as always. Another edition of Meet the Author tonight. This time, uh, the author happens to be right in my backyard, right, so to speak, uh, a local Long Island type of guy. <laughs> and uh, highly unusual because uh, almost always our guests are from someplace else. If not for COVID, we would be probably doing a actual in studio interview uh so i appreciate you coming here tonight uh and uh i hope you'll stick around for what promises to be an interesting talk now before i bring my guest in i need to talk briefly about my sponsors and speaking of sponsors i want to make an announcement here uh for well probably i think this is the first time i'm actually mentioning it uh we have built a patreon page we launched it a couple of weeks ago we've been keeping quiet about it pretty much while we fill it up with content but with the idea of the patreon page is simply this uh you can get uh the three tiers of um membership and with a basic membership for just one dollar a month you can get all the content that we produce here absolutely ad free no ads whatsoever no sponsors no uh ads in the in the beginning or the end of the show nothing to fast forward to or rewind or any of that and there are other benefits to being a patreon the link is in the description and i hope you'll consider checking that out but in the meantime we do have sponsorship for this version since this is not our patreon uh edited version and so my show tonight is brought to you by audiobooksnow.com audiobooks now you know what they are you can probably guess what they are what do you think they sell at audiobooks now kaius wrong no bowling balls no 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 how about audiobooks Yes, audiobooks. That's what they sell at audiobooksnow.com. Go figure. And you know about the convenience of audiobooks. I don't have to go through that whole convenience uh, spiel every time we talk about this. But uh, And you also know that you can buy audiobooks just about anywhere on the web these days. So why audiobooksnow.com? Well, it's simple. Price point, price point, price point. Audiobooks Now Club Pricing Plan is simply the best deal you can on audiobooks you'll find. It offers a savings and flexibility not found anywhere else with their save-on-everything discounts, rollovers, exclusive offers, loyalty program, incredible selection, and cancel-anytime policy. It simply cannot be beat. Plus, get a free premium audiobook on select titles. And if you click the link in the description tonight, you can start a 30-day free trial of their uh, club pricing plan, which normally sells for $4.99 a month. It's absolutely free for 30 days. If you're not satisfied at any time, you just cancel within that 30-day period, and you won't be charged a penny. It's a great deal. Audiobooksnow.com. The link is in the description. I do appreciate you patronizing our sponsors. Tonight's program is also brought to you by FunWise Capital. FunWise Capital is a business lender matching platform that gets you the best credit lines guaranteed. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. Hey, wait a minute. Did he say start? Yes, he did say start. Why did you say start? I said start because if you don't have a business but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. They can help you get the money you need to start your business. But you got to have a, a detailed uh, business business plan, marketing plan, all that stuff 
ducks in a row, they call that. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months, unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding or bridge loans, all that kind of stuff. And they work with real estate startups, as I mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started with them, it's really simple. You just go to apply, apply.funwise.com slash dog. apply.funwise.com slash dog. And uh, once again, I do appreciate you patronizing all our sponsors, and the links are in the description. Now, on to the big program. Robert O'Tone is a true crime writer and the host of Voices from Gilgo uh, podcast, and he's also uh, the author of People, a horror anthology about love, loss, and life life and things that go bump in the night, as well as a new collection called uh, Her Infernal Name and Other Nightmares. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Robert O'Tone to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Robert, welcome. Thank you for having me. So, as I mentioned, uh, you are a Long Islander uh, and a teacher. Now, um, I, I'm guessing by your email address that you're a teacher at the, one of the most uh, probably underappreciated, beautiful colleges in, in all of America, uh, Malloy College in, in Oakdale, yes? Uh, I, I have done some adjunct work there, yeah. I, I, not this semester, but in previous semesters. Gotcha. Um, so right. anyway, um, I want to start with the podcast, if you don't mind. I, I want to talk about the books, of course, because that's why you're here. Um, but uh, the podcast, uh, my audience probably, if you know, if they've listened to the show enough, they know that the Gilgo murders case is something I'm really, really uh, very interested in, and um, and to the point where I, you know I'm fascinated with it, but also uh, frustrated with the lack of uh, development. It's been uh, 11 years or 12 years now since we've heard about the case, and still aren't any closer closing uh, closer to closing on it. What what drives your interest in it, and what have you learned anything so far from doing the podcast? I think the the main thing that interested me about um, the Gilgo Beach situation was that. Um, I got to meet some of the families of some of the women who um, who were murdered and their passion was really what influenced me. Like um, I haven't made a dime off my podcast. Like I did it as a passion project kind of thing. So for me, it was more about trying to keep people's um, minds fresh about the whole situation. It is frustrating that there has not been any kind of arrest. Um, it should also be frustrating that there will never be any kind of arrest. Um, it's just one of those um, sort of mud in the eye situations for Long Island. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about it and maybe get people thinking about, well, what did happen? What could have happened? These are some of the options. I talked to a lot of people and there are a lot of theories as to what happened. The one that I run with with the podcast um, is the one that I believe personally. Um, that one seems to have, for me, the most. Uh, which one is that? Uh, the theory is essentially that it wasn't just one 
person that it was in fact a, a group of people wow uh okay uh that i you know i kind of heard i a group of people is kind of uh you know it's 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 kind of misleading i think i what i've heard is there might have been more than one or but i never heard it be like a group like do you think it was an organized group like a like a a, a membership thing or do you think there were two separate killers or three separate killers possibly i think it was a, a group it was definitely a group it was a group of men of means who every once in a while would get a little too aggressive and maybe once in a while they would make some videos wow fascinating you know what uh that does seem to make, make a lot of sense hey, have you ever re read the book uh the ultimate horror is it the ultimate horror or ultimate terror maury maury terry i think it's the ultimate horror ultimate no. evil oh okay well uh maury terry was a uh current affair guy you remember the show current affair in the uh maybe not you know probably not that old current affair from the 1980s i remember it right he was an investigator oh, yeah, i remember i remember yeah. the, the intro yeah, I yeah. Heard the, the intro of like wow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh well maury terry was a guy who uh investigated the son of sam murders because he believed that it was a cult that was not, and not just berkowitz and berkowitz has come up forth and said this and that the son of sam murders was actually a satanic cult um now, uh, and there are, if you read the book, there's strong evidence of that, that you basically these were a group of people organized, uh, some of them of well means, but they were connected to people of, of well means, meaning uh, Roy Radin, who was a movie producer out in Sa Sa uh, Southampton, who was kind of funding snuff films through all this stuff. So when you, when you said that maybe they filmed it, maybe it got out of control, uh, it reminded me immediately of that. And then there's the other um, little piece that ties in basically to what you just said, because James Burke was uh, the the commissioner, uh, the chief, chief of police in Suffolk County at the time. And when he was a 13-year-old boy, he was a chief witness, uh, uh, main witness in the trial of a satanic cult killing. Uh, and he was very involved with uh, the DA, Spada, uh, who was who who tried that case. He was the prosecutor in that case at that time, and they were all linked to this uh, satanic cult that uh, you know Burke was definitely at, and he claimed he wasn't a member of it. Thirteen years old, but he was at the uh, the actual killing of uh, Pius, who was John Pius, I believe the guy's name, the kid's name was. So it's all that the satanic cult. Uh, references to filmmaking. So uh, what you said just kind of lit a whole new uh, area of interest for me on that. <laughs> Thanks. So have you looked and, into those, known about any of those connections? I have not heard any kind of uh, connection to sort of um, satanic cults or anything. It's, there is, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? So if you can make the, the connection between a couple individuals who are connected to Gilgo to connections to something from years ago that smells kind of the same way, it's kind of hard to ignore evidence like that, right? So I don't know personally that James Burke was involved. I don't know for sure. I do know that um, his past is especially colorful. And I don't know that... 
I don't know that we will ever get definitive answers about anything because if definitive answers are provided, in my opinion, the infrastructure of Suffolk County, specifically Suffolk County, would be very much so in trouble. I I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly there. Uh, okay, so uh, just briefly, and we'll get off the podcast. Are you still doing the podcast? And and when you do it, is I'm, I'm guessing that's not the only case you talk about, right? I'm not uh, doing the podcast. That was the only one um, that I was talking about. However, I have been talking about um, just kicking around ideas to play with another case because it is my belief, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, I haven't really told anybody this except for uh, close friends of mine. There uh, is absolutely one victim who's credited to the Gilgo Beach Killer that, in my opinion, has absolutely nothing to do with the events that happened to those other girls. So um, I have well, some information to... about... <laughs> <laughs> I have... Uh, I have information for us about like that i have uh corroborating information from a former nypd detective that kind of speaks to that as well and i'm sort of playing with the idea of doing a follow-up podcast all about her and all about her case now it is in, in in the sense that it's connected to gilgo beach she was found at gilgo beach however there are other things that tie her to another place west of gilgo beach so um that that's sort of the case that i've been wanting to come back to but with all remarkably difficult to uh to find the time to write a podcast and and or to produce and write another podcast even though it was a really great experience and i loved doing it um it, it's it was really a true labor of love and now um coming back to it i, I would have a lot of time to do it well, I would tell you that the true crime genre, the true crime genre is one of the most lucrative in podcasting. A lot of people are doing well in it. So I don't know if that that, that helps you get more inspired to do it or, or not. But I'll just put that out there. <laughs> so moving on from the podcast stuff, uh, the books, uh, your latest book is called Her Infernal Voice and Other Nightmares. Now, that's uh, a collection. It's not a novel, right? It's a collection of, of short stories. Hold it. Hold it up. Hold on, wait, let me do this. Oh, there yeah, you. I'll keep holding it up. No there problem. There we go. Ooh, yeah. There it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a, uh, it's a novella, and it also has 17 other stories. So the novella is about 80 pages. That's called Her and Our 17 Additional Stories Go With It. And um, they cover a variety of different types of fears. So... Um, when I was writing it, I was just kind of channeling all of my fears that I have and putting it into this collection. Um, and I just wanted to sort of explore that. Wow. Um, what kind of fears are we talking about? Because, uh, you know, when we think of fears, when as soon as you said that, uh, you know, everybody has different things that just freak them out. And and so my, one of my biggest phobias in life, and people could laugh at this and make fun of me, I don't care, uh, is bees. Be, uh, you know, hornets, bees, all that kind of stuff. I've had some really bad experiences with them. I'm allergic to them, but it, it's it's a terror for me. So th is that the kind of thing that you could just run with and say, you know, there's, there's a horror story in, in just that one fear alone? And, and you know, what, how does your approach to when you say building it from fears, how does, what's your approach on that? So 
I, I would agree with you. I love bees. Uh, I'm, I don't want to get stung. I certainly don't want to get stung by hundreds of them at one time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can, I mean, that's, that's a fear that's very, um, but I, I do, uh, I do love the bees, but I, you can build so much from something like that. So in the, in the collection, I actually have a story called gnats in the teacher's lounge where instead of bees, we have gnats. And to me, gnats are just dirty. They're gross. They don't care about flying in your face. Um, they'll touch your food. They touch everything that you touch. They're filthy, disgusting uh, vermin bugs. I hate them. And uh, that is a fear I have is, is dirty, gross creatures like that. So I put that into the collection. And that's actually, <laughs> I, I used to work at another uh, school, uh, not the school that I work at currently. Um, but I work at an I, I worked at another school previously, and at that school, we did have a gnat problem in our teacher's lounge, and these things were everywhere. There was hundreds of them, touched everybody's food, landing on our books, landing on this, landing on that. So I actually wrote that, that story in there while these things are flying around. I was like, "This is disgusting. I hate this." <laughs> so uh, was uh, was writing part of your passion all your life did did you know early on that you wanted to be a writer i didn't know that i wanted to be a writer i knew i wanted to write somehow i for a long time i um after college i was doing screenwriting and playwriting and stuff like that and really trying to make an it that way from there i went into journalism and that's sort of actually where i discovered the gilgo beach thing because i got um very deep into that i covered that pretty extensively for the the couple outlets that I worked for. And that's how I made a lot of the connections that I did going into the podcast. But from journalism, I went into copywriting and social media strategy. Then I became a teacher. And then um, I came back to writing after my dad passed away. And I just needed to a cathartic exercise. I needed to, to clear my mind. I needed to refocus i needed to get my emotions out and that turned into my first collection people and um that one is is i a lot of the criticism of that is it's not particularly horror there's very few like horror super scary stories in there but a lot of the stories people appreciate the emotional element connected to a supernatural overall story or a um a, a scary story an emotional element to it so I'm happy that people seem to like the first one, even though it's not what, you know, it's not Stephen King. It's not like traditional horror. Um, it's certainly not like the Saw movies or anything like that. Like people like that. That's fine. But it's not scary like that. Um, this new collection definitely is scarier than the first one, though, for sure. Uh, um, and so when did horror um, come into your inter were you always interested in that as a child what, did you watch a lot of horror movies where did the uh, interest in that genre come from that's an awesome question i i've always watched horror movies i remember as a child maybe three my dad's favorite movie was jaws and you're a long islander you yeah. know how terrifying the idea of a 25 foot great white shark directly under us be if we're out in the water right off the coast you know um that is terrifying so i was like three years old maybe four watching jaws for the first time and just being blown away by 
oh my God, how simple is this story? It's just a big shark. And I was just a little kid. So now that started my love affair of horror. And, you know, I love Halloween because of my dad. That's one of his favorite movies too. And, you know, I just, I lean more towards the classic horror than, than a lot of the modern stuff. I do like some modern stuff, but it's always been there. I watch a lot of horror movies. I don't, it's kind of weird. Like I don't watch, I like to add a little humor in my horror also because if it's just dreary and dread and all this stuff without any because people are funny i find generally that people are, are they really are funny and but i don't watch a lot of comedy because my fiance she's the funniest person i know and she's funny enough for me like i don't need to watch comedy unless she's there you know like she'll want to watch it so i find myself watching a lot of horror um but i just i enjoy it i love being scared um, I think that that's our most primal instinct and it's a lot of fun to be scared. Um, it's just an enjoyable experience uh, watching horror. And I know for some people it's scary, but also, like you said, true crime is the number one thing. So there's got to be more fans of it than fans that are against it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and horror is, believe it or not, and what, you know, I, interv- I interview probably seven authors a week uh, five to seven authors a week on the show and a lot of them have an affinity for horror uh and and so i i appreciate that so many people are, are into the genre i for me it gives me nightmares for me personally uh and it always has even from the time i was a kid now what what you call classic horror is probably different from what i would call classic horror because i started you know i'm a, i'm 100 years old and i started with black and white movies and uh, and you know movies from the 30s and 40s and stuff that uh probably seems silly and probably wouldn't be scary if i watched them now uh but you know it is what it is I, but, but you know i gotta say i don't know about that because frankenstein the traditional frankenstein story is still terrifying it's still rejection of life um Dracula is still terrifying. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Some of those the 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 original The Thing, right? With Arnes, the original The Thing, that movie's terrifying. I mean, the the of course I like the I actually like all three versions of the thing, but I like the remake from 1982. However, that 1950s one with James Arnes is a masterpiece. That is terrifying. But also, there's so many great black and white horror movies that are still just nightmarish. Carnival of Souls, Dracula, even Creature from the Black Lagoon. When he's swimming, when the creature is swimming underneath the the woman who's swimming at the same time, he's right. No idea. It's almost the the prototype the the prototype version of, in that he's right there. He reaches up and grabs her. It's ball game over. So uh, right. it's hard to top some of that stuff. Right, I agree that the stories are still scary. The stories definitely are, but the the you know from a uh, technical perspective, you look at some of those films, and all of a sudden they become like, wow, this was wasn't really high production value stuff, and and it becomes harder to to give up your suspend or to suspend your disbelief and and get in, that much engaged in the story when the film itself is presented as kind of. Uh, technically bad you know and those things become obvious you get lost in it it's harder to get lost in the story but uh we're getting a couple of uh um suggestions here from from the uh, peanut gallery but the birds and night of the living dead now night of the living dead i i i incorporated 
incorporated that footage into a public access show on the movie uh, on the subject of death and dying. Uh, I thought I always thought that was a campy movie. That was never really uh, a one that ever got me scared at all. Uh, was that the kind of genre that that would scare you? <laughs> I, I, I watch Night of the Living Dead differently. Like, to me, Night of the Living Dead is about, um, you know, the revenge of the oppressed. So for me, I I can't look at Night of the Living Dead without thinking, like, this is the civil rights movement. This movie <laughs> is all about the civil rights movement, right. which is, I mean, which is fair. I, I, you know, other scholars have said that. But now when I watch it, I'm like, I still get lost in it. I get lost in the world more than I get lost in how scary that situation is. But I get lost in the idea of, like, what? Like we'd be done if if judging by our reaction to the virus is any indication, if zombies really did rise from the grave, we'd be done. That's it. <laughs> right. And uh, so when, when did you start actually reading or, or have you, uh, did you just go to writing and not be, be an avid reader of uh, the horror genre? Did you read a lot of uh, Kings, Lovecraft? What, what, what did you, you know, when did you become a I reader? Up- and Yeah. That's a great question, too. I, I grew up reading sort of like the kid-friendly horror books, like Benicula and stuff like that. And I read um, one of my favorites was Ghosts Don't Eat Potato Chips. That was one of my favorite books growing up. It was just so silly and ridiculous. Um, I read this amazing book, and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't remember the title. And I've been looking for it for about 10 years now. Um, but it was a book about these these three kids who raise a uh, a person from the grave. And this zombie person ends up chasing them all over their town for one night. It's just that these three kids trying to figure out, oh, my God, what are we going to do to stop this thing? And it it really hit me as a kid. And I was like, this is really like this is better than any horror movie as a kid, of course. And I can't remember the title. can't remember the author. I remember how they stop the zombie. They they um, they blow a hole in him and then they put him in cement then they, they almost like a cannonball in him and then they end up uh just burying him in cement that's how they stop him in the end and it's actually quite brilliant how they do it but i just i can't remember the name of it but that one always stayed with me i'm 36 now and that has stayed with me since i'm seven or eight years old wow uh, so, and, and I want to talk now about, uh, kind of a segue here about the reading versus watching movies. Now I know for me, uh, as I mentioned, like what well, horror movies when I was a kid could keep me up and give me nightmares. But when I read the exorcist, uh, kept me up for a month. I mean, really, I mean, reading can be a much oh, wow. more profound experience and something that really, um, affects you, your psyche much deeper than than a film in, in in many cases. Well, what do you do? You agree about the difference between the experience of reading a, a, a horror novel or um, than watching a film? Absolutely. I um, I've been reading a ton lately. I have I've been in revision on something, so I haven't been generating new material in a little bit. In in about a month, I guess I haven't written really any new. Just revising and editing and it's driving me nuts but i'm doing a ton of reading and i find when you're engaging with the material in that way as opposed to and, and there's nothing wrong with watching a horror movie don't get me wrong i do it every day but diving into the material and letting your mind play everything out really piecing everything together with the theater that's going on up there at all times seeing certain things the way that maybe the author doesn't fully intend you to see them 
but using your own leaps in logic to make those connections so much scarier than watching anything a director could give right uh now uh long island itself has a lot of um a lot of really cool history and a lot of really cool places and a re- lot of really cool settings that might lend itself well to a story like the type you write. Do you ha- uh, do you include any of, um, uh, I want to say, not not the locations na- by name, but are you influenced at all by, by the area that you grew up in and does any of that uh, show up in your, in your books at all? Big time. I have um, a town in my stories that I, I set everything in. It's sort of a, a fictional sort of uh, Hudson Valley type town. I call it Resting Hollow. In my mind, Resting Hollow is a nice mix of safe, East Islip, and um, a little bit of sort of the Ronkonkoma area. But it has that beautiful upstate vibe too. I love upstate. I love Long Island, but I love upstate too. Um, so in my first collection, I took a Sayville, um, urban legend and did a story about that. In my second collection, I took, um, a little bit of stuff about sort of the, uh, Amityville horror house. I took some content, some strings and some of my stuff. Um, and I wrote a short story recently that's very influenced by the uh the mystery or the the legend of lake ronkonkoma in a big way so long island's folklore yeah yeah it bleeds into everything i do which is good we have we're very lucky like long island is is unfortunately astronomically expensive but we do have a lot of coastline we have a lot of beautiful folklore and history we're very lucky to have the shinnecock nation here it's there's a lot of beauty to be had here too. So you can make the argument both sides like, ah, it's too expensive, but at the same time, it's really quite amazing. Yeah, I, no, I agree. Uh, and there's a lot of history, you know, you know, um, pre-revolutionary war history up here. And, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of really cool places on Long Island. But uh, just to, um, so, well, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I was going to say you were, you were mentioning uh, where you are, like the Culper Spy Trail is right there. Like, that's amazing. We're talking literally a key component of winning the American Revolution happened here on Long right. Island. Like it was yeah. here, like without that spy trail, you might not win the revolution. We might be speaking with British accents right now. Right, <laughs> or might not be here at all. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, there is a lot of that in here. Now, when you mentioned the, the Lake Ronkonkoma thing, that's funny because I have a lot of psychics on the program and ghost hunters and people of that ilk. And uh, I've been trying to get – I've had a ghost hunter on who's been recurred recurring guest been on a couple of times trying to get her to do an uh an investigation around the lady of the lake mystery and and all that kind of stuff so that it, it was good to hear you mention that and because it, it is to me there's a lot of lore here the hatchet marries grave stuff you know i brought that up to you know people uh are familiar with that legend but surprisingly not a lot of people outside of this area are Really? I, I got to tell you, um, I had a tremendous experience going for Mary's grave over there on Sweet Hollow Road. I, I had probably uh, I, I've been to the Shining Hotel. OK, my fiance and I've been to the Shining Hotel. Yeah. That yeah. was the most intense supernatural occurrence that's ever happened to me. But 
I'll tell you this, some crazy stuff happened on Sweet Hollow Road. I'm talking a, a car that vanished right after seeing it between the, where there were two cars. It was groups of friends. I was in one car. Another group of friends was in another. A car came out, old car, like a 50s model car, came out of a driveway, went in between the two of us. And by the time I told them a car was coming, they were like, what car? Yeah, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm certain that some skeptics who, and I'm a skeptic, but uh, some people who might hear you say that might just probably thought, well, this guy's a little kooky. But I can tell you, when I was a teenager going up to Sweet Hollow Road up in, in uh, Huntington, uh, there we got pulled, some guy started flashing his brights uh, and a 50s car, just like he said, like an old tail fin uh, locomotive type mm -hmm. of car. Uh, behind us, flashing his brights, we pulled over. He got out and he had an axe, and we took off. <laughs> and then I hit the gas. But uh, that kind of thing happened up there. And so, whether it's you prime yourself for that experience, or you know, knowing you're going up to this this spooky place, whatever affects your psyche. I had that kind of experience when I was 15 years old. Still sticks with me today, uh, big times. So. <laughs> I like to think, you know, I I like to be a too and and i like to think things through and what you know like well what what could this really be what could this really be but when confronted with something that's so ridiculous like a car disappearing between other group of friends on an area where there's no turnoffs there's no roundabouts there's nothing in between the two of you that's crazy but also you know th when things happen the immediate reaction shouldn't be like, well, that's a ghost, uh, very clearly a ghost. Um, but it's also, I like to think of what Shakespeare said, right? Shakespeare said, there's more things in heaven and earth, you know? And whether you believe in an afterlife, whether you believe in ghosts, whether you, you don't believe in them, the world would be a much, much more interesting place if these things did exist. And that's sort of the premise that that I use in my horror writing. Like I'm not out there. I, I, I've been ghost hunting. I, as a journalist, I went ghost hunting with a group um, and wrote about it for dance papers out there on the East End. And um, that was a, a really fun time. Ghost hunting is fun. It's really cool. If that ever happens, if you ever do that with the Lake Ronkonkoma situation, I would love to be a part of that because I think that would be fun. Um, but it's interesting trying to pierce the veil right between the living and the dead trying to do stuff like that is interesting it's outside of the norm it's not drinking at the bar it's not watching tv you know it's it's an interesting exercise right and there is something that could be learned from it absolutely if if you ever get to the bottom of it the people who i know who are uh, at least these days the people i know who are involved in that stuff are not what you would expect like diehard believers or trying to prove the existence of ghosts or any of that they're scientists they you know phds and uh they're looking at it through a trying to be as scientific in their approach as possible to find out what it, what are you know and they if they are very open to um saying well we are we concluded that you know this is what it was it was headlights on or it was a sound from a radio a distant radio whatever it, the the phenomena was caused by they're very open to to doing that when they can come up with that and when they can't they say well we're, this is one that we're just baffled by which i i respect a lot rather than people just assuming that it's ghost stuff uh, uh so yeah. 
uh, that that that's an interesting uh, part. Now back to your writing a little bit. I want to understand. Uh, so from from a horror perspective, and your writing, are, are they short stories or are they like uh, just all? normal length stories that are put into a collection first of all are they would you consider them being short stories yeah they're short stories uh the shortest one is probably i think two or three pages and the longest one is 80 pages so they okay. kind of go all over the place yeah once you get right. to around the 80 page mark i guess it's probably more around the 70 75 page mark. they call that a novella so you know that's that's what her infernal name is uh that's the story that the whole collection i always i like to start my collections with a novella um to sort of give readers a taste of what's possibly to come throughout the rest of the book but um yeah you know the the i i have one in there that's about 18 pages there's another that's like 25 pages so they do run the gamut of length um i i lately i've been finding it hard to write on the shorter end of things, so I don't know that I'll ever do another two or three page short story ever again. Um, that's that that's difficult. That it takes talent. I know a lot of people who can do that. I know people who can do a great short story in a hundred words. Um, I can't do that. That's an amazing talent, and that is an amazing talent. I, Economy of words is a great talent to have in any uh, artistic endeavor, whether it's uh, storytelling through uh, the written word, or it's uh, music, or comedy, or whatever. Economy of words and being able to do that and do it effectively with as few words as possible is definitely uh, a talent and art form and a gift in a lot of ways. Uh, so that's what I wanted to talk to you. About. So, uh, ca character development in short stories can be a challenge because you, if if you're trying to keep it short, uh, you don't have a whole lot of time to for really in depth character development. Am I correct? That's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, when you approach this, do you have the whole story in your mind, or or do because uh, I think you probably you t you said you listened to Matthew Hughes his. Uh, his process, and this I found this fascinating, he doesn't know where it's going to go. He starts with a blank page and starts writing and doesn't have a clue where it's going to go. It, it kind of develops from his imagination as he's writing. Are you that way, or <laughs> that's a really rare thing, or do you have a general outline of the story in your mind before you start to write? I have every plot point already put down either in my phone, on in the notepad, or in my email. So most of the time I'll, I'll email bits to myself. Now I have, there is a story in the second collection that people seem to really enjoy Apple Valley. And that story, I did the Hughes method. I sat down and just did it. They call it being a pantser. You fly by the seat of your pants when you do that. So that's what I tried with this story. And I hated that process. I was stressed out about it. And that story turned out to be one of the longer ones. And that one's about 20 or 23 pages, but people really like it and people are, are very creeped out by it. And um, so in my head, maybe I should do more, but at the same time, it's so stressful to me that I, I have to know where everything's going and I have to have, I do this weird thing Well, I'll write a line of dialogue and I'll just leave it there and I'll be like, this will be good here. This will turn into this scene. This will do this. And it just, it almost like jigsaw puzzles itself together for me. 
Right. Well, if you if you heard Ma- Matthew, his uh, his take on that was that it, it can be very terrifying, but he has to remind himself it always works out. It always works out. It, it's always worked out before it'll work out again. Which I I find is it's it's a that's why I was fascinated to hear him say that because out of all the authors I've talked to, I don't think any any other author I talked to is that. Uh, freewheeling and just uh, ready to go attack a blank page with nothing in mind and see what comes from a blank canvas, as they say, and just let it paint itself. To me, as an artist, that that is a scary thing to do, but it, it, I applaud him for it. So with the characters, do you have the characters developed in your mind or a good sense of who they are before you start writing? I have a sense of who they are, and I have a sense of how they might react to things. For me, it's always about reaction. You know, like I, I, there's nothing I dislike more than watching a horror movie or reading a horror story and the characters don't react in a way that I personally think that they might. So sure. if I have a character, th- this is another reason why I, I'm not a huge fan. I read, I've read some fiction like this where there are, are military characters or, you know, like operative type characters dealing with a horror situation and they just handle it like it's nothing. So to me, I'm more interested in how like normal people like you and I would react to some sort of horror situation. You know, like that's always so much more interesting to me. So, you know, if a serial killer is, I've never written a real serial killer story before or like, you know, like a Halloween type story. But if someone's chasing you with a knife, you would call the police. So my characters would do that. (laughs) So it's like, I, I, I don't need the, you know, Oh no, we're gonna fight this thing off ourselves. It's like, no, you're just gonna leave. Leave the camp. There's a guy with a hockey mask. Leave the camp. There's a car right there. So oh, I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and that's what kind of confused. But uh, on the other hand, now uh, most the su- successful uh, stuff in that genre, whether it's books or movies, all have that aspect of. Don't get out of the car. What do you do? What do you mean you're getting out of the car? You should have you never read a, a horror movie book? Don't get out of the car here. And they're getting out of the car. That's what a lot of the uh, success of the genre is. Uh, and it's in every movie. It's in every book. It's where that moment where they're going to do something you know they shouldn't be doing. Anybody who's read a, a, a horror book or seen a horror movie knows they shouldn't be doing it and they're doing it. But that's part of the success formula of it, isn't it? It's true, yeah, and and the really the the difficult part is how do we get rid of the cell phone? How do we how do right. we remove the cell phone from the equation, right? So, right. you know, I, I've read some authors that it's like, oh well, we just don't have reception. I've done that. I've done the whole oh we don't have reception thing. But then in my head, I'm like, well, it's really hard to find a place where we don't have reception. But um, in an elevator, you never have reception. So I wrote a horror story that takes place in an elevator, um, and they go to use cell phones doesn't work but you know i actually read an interesting i read an interesting statistic online about our state parks and a lot of state parks in the united states i don't know how true this now this is from a couple years ago but they said that there's very little cell phone coverage in a lot of our state parks huh i'm not surprised by that maybe it's not yeah well, oh, Smith's point. Yeah, Smith's point is terrible. Right, and up up here where I live, I'm right next to Tesla's tower. Uh, Ta- Tesla's tower is at right at that store. Uh, you would think I'd have the greatest 
wireless reception in the world being next to the man, you know, Mr. Wireless. But no, I, I have it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so are you completely self-published or do you, do you I work with a publisher? I've done both. Uh, a lot of my short stories have, are published by other uh, companies and other outlets and stuff like that. But I have my own publishing company. We put out um, so far, we've put out three titles. And uh, one of our titles that we put out has won a few awards, which I'm really happy with. And the author is uh, he's a remark writer. He's a young kind of an up and coming guy. He's a teacher like me. Uh, and he teaches English like me, but he's not from Long Island. Um, his name is Michael Jess Alexander, and his collection, uh, Boarded Windows, Dead Leaves, has won two awards already. And um, we're very proud of that. So we'd like to keep that going. We're actually working on another author's project right now. Um, she is brilliantly funny. It's sort of a comic strip kind of thing, uh, or um, sort of a cartoon, sort of like a uh, like the New Yorker kind of cartoon, but a lot weirder. Uh, and in my opinion, a lot funnier. So uh, we're excited about that. And um, we're actually in the early stages of planning an anthology, which will hopefully feature a variety of other authors um, all doing their stretching their legs with the uh, the horror genre a little bit. Very cool stuff. I, I like to see when people uh, collaborate with other people. I think that's that's a great way to grow, and it's a great way to kind of expand your own horizons, get new ideas, and it's a great way to also support the community because I think, um, and it's kind of cliche that, you know, w whether it's musicians, book authors, uh, whatever it is, you, you don't want your audience to be what you are. You, you know, I'm not writing, I don't write music and play music for mu musicians. I play it for general public. So you want that, but having that built in audience a support system to help you out when things are, when you're struggling and especially at moments of self doubt that everybody gets when you're in a creative mode at something, it can be just a great, uh, great to have that community to fall back on. So I, I, I like that idea of collaborating and putting out an anthology that includes other authors. Uh, now, um, so we are, I have your website up here, spookyhousepress.com. Uh, what is, what happens at your website? Is it just a listing for your books? What, you know, is it something that you uh, do other things through? What is the purpose of the website? And we have a we have a blog on there that I update um, with regularity, uh, probably like once a month. Uh, you can join our mailing lists. You can get uh, alerts about when a new release is coming out or when um, our books are on sale. We actually just did a, a really uh, wonderful holiday uh, sale on my book, uh, Her Infernal Name and Other Nightmares. Of the award-winning book, uh, Boarded Windows, Dead Leaves. So um, I don't send out a lot of messages. I, I don't like getting a million emails from people personally um, or from, you know, different publishing companies and stuff like that. So you can go there. You can um, follow, uh, you know, me on social media through there. And really, it's just a way for you to reach out if you're interested in learning more about our uh, books that we've put out. Or if you're interested in uh, me learning more about horror, um, you know, I talk a lot about the editing process on there. I talk a lot about the writing process on there. So, but, you know, I'm a teacher, but at the same time, like, I'm not an expert in writing. But if you want to get some tips from someone who's published some stuff, I'm happy to, to provide.
those and happy to give you some inspiration and stuff. Um, but yeah, overall, SpookyHousePress.com uh, and, you know, it's it's a pretty basic website. I don't do anything too crazy. Read the blog, join our mailing list, send an email if you want, and uh, let me know what you think. Cool, cool enough. So uh, is there any uh, interest in writing anything outside of the genre? I've uh, I've started on a um, a young adult uh, detective story, and wow. uh, I'm very happy with that so far. Yeah, and that's uh, it's it's dark, so there is some sort of a, a, a supernaturalish element, but it's not horror. Um, and I'm also leaning towards doing some sort of um, memoir type thing about my dad. I, I might do a, a collection of short stories about my dad. That might be okay. something that I do uh, it, within the next few years. Well, that would be nice. Uh, I, I when you said memoir about I I I, I started I stopped myself for a second, but I, I thought, how do you do a memoir for somebody else? Because memoir should be your memories, but it's about your memories of your 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 father, right? It's not like his yep, memories, exactly. Yeah, because yep. <laughs> okay. you know that would be. Con- but- I'm writing a memoir for somebody else. Uh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, and you know what's amazing? I when 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 he when he passed away, I found all of these volumes of his journals from the '60s, and I have yet to read them. But before I start on this memoir, I'm I'm gonna go through all of them. There's maybe five or six volumes of of uh, notebooks that he kept to sort of know him as a younger man. Because obviously I've only known him as dad. I didn't know him during his college years in the 60s. You know, So like knowing him like that and then sort of bringing that perspective into the memoir, I think will be a lot of fun. Maybe. Uh, I, I would, yeah, I could see why you haven't read it. You know, I, I can, I can imagine why you haven't read them. I shouldn't say, I don't know you, but I, I know why I wouldn't have read them yet. It's just basically fear of uh, the emotional situation just reading them and, and going through that might put me through uh I, i've had similar loss you know in my life and uh i've been reluctant to kind of dig into those uh boxes that are left behind sometimes like uh i love them i really tempted to i'm really curious to but i know it's gonna uh lock me up in a few days of crying and really deep introspection and i'm not ready for that yet so maybe tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> you know that kind of thing I, you know i do the same thing i i've been the same way like i've had them i've had them now he passed away in uh 2019 i'm about two years now now yeah. i haven't opened them i can't bring myself to opening them yet um there's two stories that i've written about him one is in my first collection one is in the second collection and both of those stories wreck me every time i read them um it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult for me still. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if it's difficult for me for the remainder of the years that I have. So maybe I'm being optimistic and saying like, oh, in a couple of years, maybe I'll work on that memoir. But I know it's going to be very difficult, like you're saying. Yeah, no, I've been writing a book for four years and I'm at the point where I can't get I can't I can't continue writing it because every time I try, I end up in one of those uh, conditions where I'm just, you know, uh, got myself all depressed and, and worked up and 
in an emotional state. So it's very difficult. I know, I know that for a fact because I've been there. Um, but I wish you a lot of luck with it, and I, and I hope it. Um, hope it does what you what what you wanted to do, and then basically, I, I think that would probably be to honor his memory. And so, if you if you can do that and feel successful about it, uh, maybe that's a way to yeah. really, you know, that's a, might be a great way to to finally mourn and move on and move past it. I don't know, uh, you know, who knows? I'm no psychologist or anything like that. But w- with that said, you know, all the emotional take on it. When you're writing hard, does it affect your psyche in any way? Because to me, it would seem like it no. would have to leave some kind of psychic scars somewhere somehow. <laughs> I think it, it's only made me um I think writing horror has really made me more intuitive with people. I think I understand people a lot more than I ever did. Um and not in a bad way. It, uh, you know, uh, it's certainly there are certain things about um humanity that can be ugly obviously, but at the same time I think having a deeper understanding of how people feel and how people react to things has only helped. Uh, It's certainly helped me in the classroom. That's for sure. I I have, um, I'm very lucky. I have a beautiful relationship with my students. My students are amazing. Um, But at the same time, they know that I I write spooky stuff. So they're always like, Oh, the teacher, did you, did you like this, this scary thing? And I'm like, I, I, you know, yeah, I did. (laughs) And they're just like, Oh, that scares me. So, Um, I think, yeah, I think it's helped me. I think it's definitely helped me. I don't think it's made me, I don't think it's made me like a person who, um, I'm not afraid of a lot of things. I'm still afraid of flying. That's my biggest fear. But at the same time, it hasn't made me like dislike people or made me feel like, oh, I just want to scare those people or anything like that. So, yeah, I know, but it has made me more into well, if uh, you, you take a gander at some of the horror uh, writers that I've had on the program, most of them, and I'm not judging people at all by this, but it, it just occurs to me that most of them are goth in, in their personal styling in some way. In, in other words, I think the... I'm not sure what came first, whether a chicken or the egg, whether they were goth and that led them to writing horror or just the... the um, the focus on horror type stuff makes, you know, manifests in goth styling, but generally most of them are, which is, and I always think, well, it, it comes out in your persona in some way. You don't look goth at all. You look like a, a regular East Islip, uh, all American guy. <laughs> I hope so. But it's always, it's always the all American quiet ones, you know, that's always yeah. us that do it. <laughs> uh, how, how old are the students you teach? What age group? I work with, I work with, um, I work with adults, but I also work with eleventh um, graders, and I work with. In the past, I've worked with some um, emotionally disturbed fifth uh, graders as well. Wow! Wow! Uh, yeah. So you don't want to bring them into the horror uh, genre at all, do you? Emotionally disturbed kids, do you? <laughs> you know what? I one of my one of my um, and and he was a, a, a amazing amazing kid. He, actually made our writing about horror he didn't know that i wrote horror but he actually um was already fascinated by it and very much so into it he's also as a fifth grader by hands uh, far and away the best writer that i've ever seen as a student 
at at fifth grade. Le- I mean, this kid was brilliant, and the way that he dissected analyzing something scary. In this case, we he was very into this one horror video game. The way he was able to dissect why it scared him, why it scares others, and what about the concept of that game is scary in in itself as a fifth grader was one of the most incredible things I've ever read. And I think, you know, when you have an experience like that with a student, it really it really reinvigorates you. And I'm very lucky working with my adult students. I'm reinvigorated every day because every single day they blow my mind and every single day they impress me and every single day they, they bring something beautiful to the table that I didn't, I never knew before, uh, whether it's about myself, them, or uh, the education system in general. But the, 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 you know, the, the, the child who was emotionally disturbed, he had a very deep insight that a lot of students don't have. Yeah, that that to me is uh, super impressive, uh, and not the the emotional disturbed part, but uh, the idea that you you know you you see young children or or you know pre preteens or just about teens, and you don't expect them to have this uh, deep level of thinking uh, and insight. And when you when you get uh, a conversation with one of them that. that shows this whole different level of thinking adult level thinking in a young person it can it can kind of like wait a minute you know i don't expect that from children ever and it can be a really mind-blowing experience i've had that with with some students of mine in the past too where i just like just blown away by your conceptual thinking rather than just thinking of you know one sentence at a time or you know that that's the way most children do so yeah I, I i can appreciate that and i'm glad that you have that experience that uh this kid can touch your life in that way and you feel like you, you made a difference and 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 helping you mentioned video games uh, are you into that and is that part of because uh, i i'm clueless when it comes to video games but i know there are some that are uh Built on this horror genre, is that something that that interests you? It does. Uh, I've actually written for uh, a horror video game a long time ago, uh, a very small indie uh, horror game. I got to do some writing for, and that was a lot of fun. But I do. I play some horror games. I do enjoy them. I find that they're all about jump scares, though. Like none of them really leave. None of them really leave you thinking. And none of them leave a level of terror in you that lasts once you turn the game off. Um, so that's kind of the, that's why I'm, I'm not super into horror video games. But at the same time, when there's a good one, I'm all in. Right. Um, so yeah, Twitch is a big platform for that now. And I don't, you know, being an old person, I don't get that. We're on Twitch, but people who watch people play these video games and stuff. I, you know, the, the fact that it doesn't stay with you after you turn the video game off, that makes it more appealing to a guy like me because I want to be able to sleep at night after I, after I enjoy something. But uh, yeah. I, I don't get that whole point of uh, that. Uh, Twitch and YouTube, both there are people who just go on there to watch other people play video games. Do you have any uh, understanding of that phenomena? I think it has a lot to do if if you don't own the game or if you maybe you can't afford the game at that moment. You want to see 
how the game plays. I've only ever watched one video game get played through. And the only reason I watched it was because I you can't get it anymore. It was taken away. It, it supposedly doesn't exist, but um, some very lucky people still have it. Um, but other than that, I, I'm not a fan of watching people play games. Yeah, no. I've watched, um, I, I've watched one woman. She does. Uh, she plays a video guys that I really like called Silent Hill. Which is very scary. Those games are, are those are the exception, not the rule. Those ones will stay with you. Some of them, not all of them, but um, she plays those, and she actually analyzes the symbolism behind certain things in the game as she's playing. Now that's fascinating to me. Wow, that's cool stuff. Yeah, that, that would that would get me interested a little bit. Um, so we are out of time. Hold up the book again. So let's plug the book again one more time before absolutely. We Thank you. There we go. We're a little slow in the lagging lag time here, so give it a second. Her name and other nightmares available wherever books there are sold. Yeah, and well, there are not a lot of places where they're sold, but uh, <laughs> to be honest, there there are some bookstores. Um, so yeah, and just so people know, the links are in the descriptions of for where you can buy it on Amazon. Uh, so make it nice and easy for you, or you can go to uh, Robert's website, and it's called SpookyHousesPress.com, and get a link to buy the books directly through there. Either way, either in the link in the description, or to go to SpookyHouse.com. Robert, it's been uh, a pleasure uh, to get to know you. I know we've been all over the place. I do want to uh, st- uh, I'll keep in touch because uh, the Lake Ronkonkoma thing with the ghost hunting thing might really happen and also i have invited Sweet. some psychics uh to uh help out with the uh, gilgo murders thing and we might actually do a, a psychic investigation into the gilgo murders thing so maybe you'd be interested in that and, and might want to take part in that when we when we ever if we get around to doing that program so uh, i hope to stay in touch with you and it's, it's been great to get to know you and i appreciate your time i wish you much success with the book and please stay in touch Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm I'm interested in whatever you want to do. I love this. This was great. Thank you so much again. Well, I will definitely let you know when those things are going to happen. Thanks for coming in and uh, stay safe and stay successful. And bye. This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% store-wide when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off 
when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by Vapor DNA. Founded in 2013, Vapor DNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code ORIONQ. Robin O'Tone, people, uh, author of Her Infernal Voice and Other Nightmares. Her, Her Infernal Name and Other Nightmares, I'm sorry. And uh, uh, people, uh, a horror anthology about love, loss, life, and things that go bump in the night. Things that go bump in the night. Yes, indeed. So I hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you uh, got something out of it, and we'll tell your friends uh, about it, and come on back uh, and subscribe, and go to my YouTube channel and subscribe there, and go to minddogtv.com and get on my mailing list, and questions and comments for me, always info at minddogtv.com. Info at minddogtv.com. Another reminder that we do have a Patreon page, so you don't have to put up with, resp- uh, with sponsorship anymore. For just a dollar a month, you can listen to all the content absolutely free. The link is in the description to our Patreon page and tomorrow i will be back uh at 8 p.m i don't have a 1 p.m show uh turns out the person who was uh booked for the one o'clock show has already been on the show not too recently not too long ago very recently as a matter of fact uh um so it seemed like it was a double booking by accident so we don't have a show at 1 p.m tomorrow but at 8 p.m rachel tamayo another uh meet the author episode and uh her books are uh, thrillers and sexual thrillers and and uh, stuff along that genre and a little bit touching the horror stuff too as as well so uh, we'll be happy to talk to her tomorrow at 8pm until then I'm Matt Napple for the Mind Dog TV Podcast thanks for joining me have a great night and bye for now dreams dreams come and go the passengers in time Changing ever as we go Just as the darkness of night Surrender so gently To the dawn
just for show. 